into a Christ-centered perspective about these issues today, especially in the most recent issues that we've heard about uh, as it relates to Tulsa, as it relates to, to Charlotte, and as it relates to California most recently. So what are you tuning into? If you're tuning in for the first time, let me give you a little bit of background. You may be wondering, what's Kingdom Work for Christ? What's the deal? So Kingdom Work for Christ, very plainly put, it's the full-time job inviting God into your day-to-day tasks, your day-to-day endeavors. Kingdom Work for Christ is all about the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You see, Jesus, after he died for our sins, the sins that he didn't commit but that we committed, and after he resurrected to give us the life that we were supposed to have in the beginning with Adam and Eve in perfect unity and communion with God, Jesus died and resurrected to be able to give that back to us. And so before he went back to the Father, as resurrected king, walking the face of this earth, Right before he left, he gave his followers a beautiful set of instructions. And, and the beautiful part about this, especially in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen, is that Jesus doesn't give these instructions to people who all believe in him. It says that there were some who doubted, and yet Jesus gave this set of instructions to them. He said, it's fivefold. He said, one, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And that's Jesus speaking. And then two, therefore, go make disciples of nations. Three, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Four, teaching them to obey my commandments. Five, knowing that I'm with you always till the end of the age. Jesus, in giving this beautiful set of instructions, essentially enables his followers to have a set and an ordered step in which we can follow him, we can be infectious for the sake of his kingdom, but most importantly, in which we can remain in him. This is going to be especially important as we talk about these topics today. So Kingdom Work for Christ helps you to answer the question, what do I do for a living? Better yet, who do I work for? If I ask you these questions, do you at any point in time have at the forefront I work for the kingdom of Christ. Do you have at any point in time at the forefront of your thoughts, my boss is the Lord God Almighty. He's the one who dispatches me to these environments, including the full-time day job that I have, including the job of being a parent, including the job of being a, a, a daughter, a son, including the job of being a sister, not just by bloodline, but by spiritual life, by journey, by emotions, right? All these things, he's the one who equips me to do that. And so Kingdom Work for Christ is all about answering that. So on this show, what we've done is that we've gone through different environments. We started out, we went through gossip. What does it mean to do Kingdom Work for Christ when you're gossiping? Does that even make sense? Well, go back and find out, www.kingdomworkforchrist.com. But we also looked at chronic illness, right? We looked at disagreement. We looked at um, science. We looked most recently at law. Mike Underhill gave such a great testimony about ways in which just being on a day-to-day basis, an authentic Christian in Christ, can speak volumes, volumes. Even beyond our own deaths, it can speak volumes to those around us, right? We've, we've explored fitness and wellness. We've explored different environments. And so most recently, we started talking about race, culture, and diversity. Some of you have wondered why these three together. And I think intricately the three are together because they, apart, separate and apart from each other, that's where we start to get in trouble. We can't talk about race without talking about culture, and we can't talk about culture without talking about diversity. Because the bottom line is we are a fruitful body of Christ. We're a fruitful creation of the Lord Jesus. So if you don't believe in Christ, you're still his creation. And you're made very differently than even your twin sister or your ten, twin brother, right? And so why wouldn't that be the case among the races? Why wouldn't that be the case culturally? Why wouldn't that be the case when we talk about diversity? And so that's why they're all grouped together. 
And then the last interview, we had a beautiful opportunity to interview Vicky. And Vicky is a anonymized name for this individual. And the reason why is because there's sensitivities around her testimony and what um, incredible journey she's taken uh, to be here and what it means to be a Christ follower amidst these sensitivities. And so if you missed that, you can go back as well. And today we're going to keep delving into the topic of race, culture, diversity. And so before we do that, the first thing I want to do is to recap a little bit of what we talked about when we looked at biblical insights that can really help us when it comes to this issue. We live in a really, really, really hot, hot environment for this. Not because it's a new issue, not because it's brand, you know, it, it's, um, it's in our face now, not because it's elevated, but because it's more public. Because we have more visibility into something that's been a reality for a long time. And most importantly, because we are at a point in our society where we have, we're not dealing with the blatant racism on the books. We're dealing with the implementation of how people relate to one another. We're dealing with heart issues. We're dealing with what Jesus is the only one who can penetrate. We're dealing with the core. And so today we're going to start out with 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have your Bible, please turn. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be going through 18 through 27. And when we talk about our call to action, and this is very specifically within this topic, this environment, let's go to this passage of the word and specifically look at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. And he says, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that many, that there may be, excuse me, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And we read that last one. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. As we get ready to go through some of these 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 questions and some of these deeper issues, the 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 groundwork here we're gonna start with is that beautiful diversity yet unity in the body of Christ. God arranged this perfect body with these different functions. And all this really comes to an impasse, really to a crossroads in verses 24 and 25. He said, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, so, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In that passage, he doesn't talk about the members having different um you know, care for one another as well as the members having the same identity or the same part functionality as one another. In this part, he talks about the members having the same care for one another. One tragic part about what we're going to talk about today is that when it comes to issues of race, culture, diversity, there is an, an insensitivity and a lack of care for one another. No matter what side you're on, there's a lack of care that is evidenced 
by a lot of the um, repercussions, really, that we're experiencing right now. So what do I mean by that? When we start talking about race, when we start talking about culture or diversity, and these issues are, are, are sensitive and people get offended, do we shy away from having that discussion because we simply don't want to deal with either offending somebody or we don't want to deal with having exposure to another point of view? Or we simply think people are wrong and they're making a big deal out of nothing? In what ways does this express care or at least a desire to want to understand one another in a way that is Christ-centered? The diversity in the body of Christ is something that we can learn a lot from. And as it relates to race, culture, and diversity, are we willing to be members of the body of Christ who see and react in a Christ-centered manner when we're responding to issues with respect to race, culture, and diversity? Are we willing to be those who reach out and are the hands and feet of Christ? Are we willing to be the ones who speak with grace and wisdom that can only come from God in the midst of this and don't speak when we lack exactly that? Are we willing to be members of the body willing to respond in a Christ-centered manner through our actions? Are we willing to be members of the body who follow God's culture, God's identity, God's plan and agenda for his kingdom first above our own culture, our own identities, our own agendas? Are we willing to be members of the body who can say, I will Stay Christ-centered, even if that means that I'm going to get shattered in every single aspect of the way. Are we willing to do that? Now, we're not talking today about relinquishing our physical race. We're not talking about the fact that racism exists. We're not talking about the fact that there's a one culture. No. There is definitely diversity, and we'll get into that. You know, they, 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 we're not relinquishing our physical race, our physical culture, or our contribution to diversity. Absolutely not. I have said in the previous shows, I'm black American woman whose background is half from Ivory Coast, the country, and half from India. Culturally, who am I? Well, I joke around that I'm the UN because there are so many different cultural strains in my background. Um, but, you know, truthfully, it's, it's something that I actually really cherish. I didn't. I certainly didn't all the time. But I do now because that has given me an, a, an, a unique opportunity to see the world in a certain way. How do I contribute to diversity? Well, I contribute to diversity not just in race. I contribute to diversity in culture. I contribute to diversity in age. I contribute to diversity in intellect. I contribute to diversity in interests. I contribute to diversity in emotions, among others. That's diversity, not just one single aspect, one-dimensional aspect of what the true meaning of diversity is. So today, as we get ready to talk about this, my prayer is actually a prayer off of Zechariah 13. And it sounds like an, it sounds like an interesting chapter to go to for those of you who are familiar with that part of the, part of the word. But this is in the middle of a lot of disobedience from the Israelites and God literally getting ready to disperse Jerusalem. And, and, and there's just so much repercussion to the consistent disobedience that the people of God have exerted. Does that sound familiar to you and I? Does that sound familiar to what we're experiencing today? Constant disobedience. And we'll talk about that in a second. He says, on that day, there should be a fountain opened for the house of David and inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. Lord, I pray, I pray that in this environment where we are struggling in incredible proportion as it relates to our relationships, whether they have to do with race, with culture, 
with how we, we even express diversity, Lord. I pray that you will come and cleanse us from our sin and our uncleanliness in this environment. Verse 2, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so they shall remember, they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanliness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and his mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord and his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. Lord, I pray that in this environment where there is so much turmoil as it relates to race, to culture, to diversity, Lord, I just pray that you will come and cut off the names of all of the idolatrous practices that we have as it relates to relating to one another, God. And I pray that those practices will be remembered no more among the body of Christ. I pray that people who are part of your body will get serious, Lord, about rooting our identities in you first and foremost. And Lord, I pray that you will remove from our land the people who are masking themselves as, as people who speak your word, who people who announce your message and yet are so divisive among your body for the sake of destroying what you are trying to create here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that they will be destroyed. I pray that the things that are being birthed that are against you will be destroyed in your name, Jesus, not because of us, but all because of you, dear Lord. Father, show us how to do this right. Show us how to do this in a Christ-centered manner, God. Lord, I just take time to pray to you right now, Jesus. Because if there's one thing we don't do enough, Lord, often it is pray. And God, I just want to pray over our families. I want to pray over our friends. I want to pray over our nation. I want to pray over nations, Lord God, all around the world. And God, I just want to pray with bent knees, asking you to come. Come, oh Lord, we need you. We do not know how to relate to one another, Lord. We do not know how to respect and honor one another as you intend. And so Christ Jesus, in this environment, please, Lord, come. May we be serious about being your representatives here. Verse 4, on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on hairy clothes cloak in order to deceive but he will say i am no prophet i'm a worker of the soil for a man sold me in my in my youth and if one asks him what are these wounds on your back he will say the wounds i received in the house of my friends god i just pray that every single lying tongue when it comes to this issue of race culture diversity lord i just pray that they will be tamed lord I pray that they will be cast down. I pray that hearts will be transformed, that a spirit of truth in love, Lord God, will rise up as it relates to these issues of race, culture, and diversity. God, I just pray that your people will be the ones leading the way in your name for the sake of reconciliation, that ministry that you've given unto all of us, Lord. May we be serious about that, God, in your holy name. Verse 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands against me, uh, stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little one. In the whole land, declared the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Lord God, we do not wish ill on anyone. 
We just wish that your will be done. And so, God, we are praying that if you are putting us through that fire to refine us as gold, we are praying for your divine strength, your divine persistence, your divine perseverance, Lord God, because as it relates to race and culture and diversity, Lord, we are praying to be as pure as gold, that we may represent you clearly, God, that we may be anchored in who you are and in that vein speak in spirit and in truth, Lord. Father, save us. We are desperately in need of you, Lord. Amen. We yearn for you. So that is my prayer. And I pray that as we continue to talk, um, we will really allow ourselves to start thinking, addressing these issues, to continue to look at race, culture, diversity, but in a Christ-centered manner. So the very first question is, what is the kingdom impact? Is there kingdom impact at all? Versus is this personal? Is this for the sake of personal impact? Okay. So I'm going to tell you a couple of, um, a couple of stories. And these are true stories. And as I'm sharing this with you, I'm not sharing this with you for the sake of, you know, just, just, just talk or for the sake of someone saying, oh, I didn't know that about you, Emma, or I didn't know this happened. No, no, I'm sharing this very specifically so that will be brought to light that a lot of what we're talking about today, especially as it relates to race, culture, diversity, doesn't come from a place of grudging, holding a grudge of what happened in the past. I'm bringing it up because I want to bring to light that what we're talking about has to do with real day-to-day experiences that a lot of people have to deal with that may be known or unknown to different groups. Okay, and so a lot of the reactions that you're seeing, if you're watching the news, you're seeing the reaction of protests. You're seeing groups mobilizing with one another. You're seeing, you know, uh, just a demand for justice over and over and over again. It's not because people are hanging on to what happened, you know, with racism and even what happened in the civil rights movement. It's because these are things that are happening now. We're not even starting to deal with things in the past. And so let me tell you about my very first realization. Now, I, you know, I was born outside this country. I came when I was 11. I came when I was 11. I had... um, just a very difficult time transitioning here. And, and, and I will say that not to go too much into it. Um, one of the hardest things to do was to get acclimated, not to the language, though that was hard, not to, you know, the curriculum, though that was hard, but to being able to relate to people and to have people accept me. So the first year of my life was very, very isolating. In the United States. It was very isolating. And I had two friends, whopping two friends. One of them was my music teacher, Sylvia Taylor. The other one was Beth Schleifer, and she was sixth grade friend. That was it. And it was a very miserable time in my life. Okay. And then what I realized when I went to seventh grade, because I was just severely just oh, just down, I can't even get into it. But in seventh grade, I decided, you know what, this can't, this can't keep going on. I mean, this is just not acceptable. So I combined my love for music with my desire to to want to learn the culture, right? And so I dedicated myself to learning a lot of hip-hop, and, and yes, secular hip-hop, so it wasn't necessarily like the best thing. But at the same time, what it helped me to do was to start to get friends among people who looked like me. And the reason why that I did that, not because it was an automatic, um, it was automatically you know, oh, someone else who has my skin color, let me go gravitate towards that. It had nothing to do with that. It actually was difficult on both sides, people who looked like me and people who didn't look like me. It was hard to, it was hard to get integrated as a kid in America. And this is something that people don't really realize unless they have the immigrant experience. And so I want to share that. So come in. And when I learned, you know, the, the lyrics to hip hop and I learned all that, and it was like there, there's this there's a language right, and there's there's like mannerisms and all this stuff. And so I started to get friends in the black community, 
And then those friends in the black community would introduce me to other friends. And slowly and surely, you know, I started getting a more diverse group of friends. But the reason I bring that up is because that experience taught me on a very basic level that it's not a given thing that one person coming into a brand new environment is going to immediately have a circle. Is it going to immediately have community? So here's the first point of entrance for the kingdom worker for Christ. What environments are you around and how attuned are you to the people who do not have community around them? Are you willing to be their community? Are you willing to reach out your hand and extend an invitation to a cup of coffee, to a conversation, to a walk, whatever it is? Are you willing to be that person? Because that's a point of entry. A good friend of mine, Kathy Underhill, started a program called Global Friends. And it's, it's an amazing program because she, in her church, has partnered with the ESOL um, lady there. Uh, the, the person who leads, and she has been able to pair up families to essentially have SOL, you know, either people or families um, meet an American family and do American, quote unquote, American things, right? Like whether it's going to, to, to dinner or a movie or a baseball game or whatever it is. But the whole point is having one other person who can say, hey, welcome. And by the way, here are a little, here's a little bit of an opening door into my life. As a kingdom worker for Christ, we have a great opportunity when it comes to relating to one another to be the eyes of Jesus and pay attention to those who are without community for the sake of inviting them into what our experience is in Christ. So when I went to college, I went to college in the South. And I remember very specifically my first year, we had a, a guy who delivered pizza. So I, I gained automatically my freshman 35. People say freshman 15. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie, I tell you. Mine was 35. So anyways, I get my freshman 35, you know, by, by ordering pizza at night. <laughs> and um, the guy was really nice. He was this African-American man, just really, really nice. And so he, he would um, come and deliver and we would you know, joke around with him and everything like that. And then one day he comes and he delivers his pizza and he said, you know, this is my last day. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, this owner took over and he's really, really racist. I even think he's in the KKK. I was like, KKK, what are you talking about? I had no idea that that still existed. Call me ignorant. No clue. That was my first red flag. Then the second thing that happened is that the following year, there was actually a KKK rally. Okay, so I'm like, oh, heck no. So I basically go and I, you know, I, I joined a couple of people um, and by a couple. I mean, a lot of people. <laughs> and we went and we protested that rally. The good news is for all those listening is that there were 15 of them and there were like probably 200, 300 of us. The bad news and really my first opening into what a little bit of what we're dealing with today is that I had no idea who that person was who was under that sheet. So for all I knew, it could be my next-door neighbor. For all I knew, it could be my professor. For all I knew, it could be that friend that, that, that you know, I thought was a friend. My point is it's all undercover. Now, bear with me here. I'm not saying that everybody around you is a KKK member, not at all. But the thing that really, really came to mind that day is that what we're dealing with today does not have to do necessarily does not have all the time does not have to do with the law and the way they're written and how jacked up they are now don't get me wrong there are definitely some laws that need to be rectified in the midst of this society but for the most part a lot of the laws have been cleaned up a lot of the written parts have been cleaned up what we're dealing with today is issues of the heart it's the stuff underneath. It's the stuff under the mask, if you will. And that stuff is undetectable by you and me. That's undetectable by one another. The only person who's able to do anything about that is Jesus Christ. 
We are fighting race, culture, diversity with the wrong tool when we just limit that to talking about it, when we just limit it to trying to just change the laws, when we just limit it to trying to inform people about what the stats are. We're fighting with the wrong tools. And it's not that these things are not important. They are helpful, but they're not what's going to fix this issue because we're not talking about things that are written on paper now. We're talking about things that are heart issues, how people implement on a day-to-day basis. We're talking about implicit biases. We're talking about ways in which people hurt one another undercover. And so that was my first eye-opening experience to the fact that there was the possibility to be blindsided if you will. Then the last thing that happened was when I was there um, is that there were actual cross burnings, three different intersections. And you can look that up. It was May of 2015. That was, excuse me, 2005. And there were cross burnings. And as I was looking at that and I was like, I I was shocked, first of all. And the, the report was that it was, you know, professional crosses. And around that there were KKK paraphernalia and, now, don't get me wrong. Again, they're definitely not, definitely not um, as high a number of members of the KKK, at least from the stats that there have been in the past. But again, it was this idea of the hidden, the hidden intentions of man, and just how cruel we can be to one another. So, what's the solution? I mean, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the unknown? And so let's fast forward into what we can what we can do here. In the first show about this, we talked about a few very practical things that we can do, some steps. And the first one being we can pray. We can pray for one another, truly pray for one another. And I'm not talking about, you know, in a, in a in a idealistic type of, oh Lord, give peace to the give world peace. What does that mean? No, I'm talking about as we are relating to one another, Lord, this person is a really difficult person to deal with, and I don't get them. Help me to have a melted heart, a heart of humility before you so that I can understand that brother or that sister. Lord, cleanse my heart so I can better relate to others' hearts. The second thing we talked about is letting people into the doorway of our lives, right? So here we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is an amazing God. We profess his name. We love the Lord. We're in Christian community. Okay, that's great. But how do people who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior get to see that? I mean, how do people actually get to know that you're for real and not just speaking words? Because unfortunately, words can be very cheap. So in the privacy of your homes, in the middle of your fun, when you're in community, can people look at you and say, there's something different. There's something really, really joyful. There's something really, really, you know, just just, just drawing about this person. Can we say that about the people around us? And are we willing to open our lives as a doorway? And say, hey, come on in. Come on in and experience a little bit of Jesus when you interact with me. I want to give you an example of, um, I was, earlier on, I was in um, juvenile detention center. And um, just help out, you know, with a Bible study there. And it was just, I just love these kids. I love these kids so much because, yes, they are in a precarious situation in which they've messed up. But at the end of the day, they have their whole lives ahead of them. And there is a vulnerability in being in that location. And you can just see a desire and a hunger for something more that they simply just haven't found. And so I had the pleasure and the privilege of talking to this young man earlier this week. And so, gosh, earlier, it's Wednesday. I guess that was just yesterday. (laughs) The time is just flying by. So I had an opportunity to talk to him and, you know, he was, we were talking in Spanish and it, what was interesting is that he was intently listening, just intently listening. 
And I turned to my sister in Christ because she was the one who's speaking. And I turned to her and I said, um, I just want to let you know, I don't think he understands English. And she was like, really? Are you sure? I was like, I just, I just, I get, I'm getting a stirring that he doesn't understand English. And so she continued speaking a little bit. And then she goes, but he's, he's listening so intently. I was like, go ask the guard. I'm telling you, he doesn't understand. So he goes, she goes, she asks the guard. Lo and behold, he doesn't understand English. So I go next to him and I start speaking in Spanish. And as I'm speaking to him, um, you know, I was literally just translating word for word what the lady was saying. I was speaking. And halfway through, he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, you may. And he said, how do you know Jesus is for real? And I was like, that's a really good question. So now we're off script, right? I mean, we're clearly not translating at all what the lady is saying. And I said, you know, well, creation speaks of him. And I talked a little bit about that. I said, you know, our uh, people who have studied the Bible as well, you know, preachers or or, um, men and women of the word also give great insight into who Jesus is. Um, The Bible, of course, and, and I pray and then, but you know, what's really, really cool. And he said, what? And I said, what's really, really cool is that even if I didn't have any of that stuff, he has actually manifested himself in my life. And he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, the only reason I'm here today and I'm not selfishly at work or, you know, going out and partying with friends, you know why I'm here today? He goes, why? I said, because you are worth it. And you are someone God really, 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 really loves. And because you're someone God really, really loves, you're someone I really, really love because I love Jesus. And so that's why I'm here. And that's one small, tiny, weensy example of how he's manifested himself directly in my life. And the kid was just like, whoa. That was a doorway into my life that I got to share with that kid. Can we let people into the doorway of our lives? The third thing we talked about is, Leveraging our experience so that we can better understand others. You know, I jokingly talk about how I don't know what it's like to be sunburned, and I really, I truly don't. And I just feel for my brothers and sisters who just who get sunburned. I didn't know. I, I just, I can't. I don't get it. But you know what? I do get. I've been burned before. Yeah, I've been burnt. You know, with a little bit of oil. I'm trying to get something nice fried and covered in chocolate. Whatever, you know, and, and get a little get a little burnt. I get what that feels like. So even though I can't relate to being sunburned, I can relate to what that felt like, and therefore I can try through my experience to understand an experience I will never be in. Consequently, we can do that when it comes to these issues of race and culture and diversity. If you've never experienced what it's like to be discriminated against, let me give you some perspective. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, have you ever had a conversation where you were speaking to someone who was disagreeing with your faith? Or have you ever been a part of a group of people who didn't believe in Christ and you did and who kind of looked down on you for that? Did that feel good? If your answer is I've never been in that situation, um, really pray about that because you ought to be. You ought to be more often. We are, We ought to be salt to the world and light to the world. And if we're not putting ourselves in situations where we are interacting with our brothers and our sisters, right, God's creation, interacting with one another authentically, then we are missing the ball game and we're talking to the choir and it's useless. So let's get ourselves in situations where we're interacting with more people and we're interacting with people of different faith. Now, if you have been in that situation, take that example, leverage that experience. Think back to how awkward it was, right, to be among uh, among people who really were looking down on you for something that you believe. Because that gives you a little bit of a glimpse into what people are talking about when they say, I just feel such injustice. Every single time it seems like something happens and we simply cannot get resolution on something that if it was flipped, and it was someone of another race, it simply would be different. If you're someone who says, what's the big deal? Like, I don't understand why people are still hanging on to the past. You know, why are they hanging on to grudges? 
how can you leverage your experience as someone who believes, you know, in Christ so that you can better understand what that feels like? Because someone can say that about our faith in Christianity. Someone can say, you know what, Jesus died a long time ago. This whole thing about, you know, Christians being persecuted, like, get over it. That's, that's the thing of the past. Why are you hanging on to that grudge? But the bottom line is, you know, being a Christ follower comes at a cost sometimes, comes at being looked down on, comes at, and this is the, that's the good version of it. You know, there are brothers and sisters who are literally being persecuted, who are literally losing their lives around the world for this, right? So how do we leverage our experience with that and say, you know what, I don't, I can't step into your shoes right now, but I know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I've been in some experience where I felt that. So let me superimpose that so I can better understand where you're coming from. I don't have to agree with you, but at the very least, I have to leverage that experience so I can even start to open my ears to what you're saying. The next thing we talked about was picking our battles. As we're experiencing this and talking to one another, how can we, how can we actually have dialogue, right? Because if we, if we keep calling out one another, at the least things said, then how will we ever get to a point where we can understand the fullness of the argument so that we can actually respond in a manner that is calm, in a manner that is, that is godly with grace and with understanding for one another, but at the same time that directly communicates your point? How do we get to do that if every single time someone says something that pinches our fence nerve, we respond to that immediately? So knowing when to pick our battles is important. And this is where the fundamental question I asked us in the beginning comes in. What is the impact? Why are we having this conversation? You know, I used to be someone who um, was very close to going for a full political science degree, mainly because I do enjoy, um, you know, the the political process and everything like that. I just find it fascinating how systems can be put into place both failing systems and both, you know, successful systems can be put into place such that governance can take place. And so I was about to go into that field, but then I got to a class and I realized that though it was supposed to be a logical debate, we were putting a lot of emotions into quote unquote, a logical debate. And as soon as we started to do that, there was no more, There was no more um, explanation of a point. There was, I mean, we were done. I mean, it was game over. As soon as we started to do that, it became simply a battle of who's the loudest. And in that moment, I decided I did not want to be in a field where I would have to deal with that constantly. As much as I enjoy watching the news, sometimes it just gets tiresome to see the back and forth the emotional back and forth instead of really, really well thought out arguments as to why a point is valid versus another. Can we be the opposite of that as a body of Christ? Can we actually look at this from a point of view of kingdom impact versus personal impact? Because if we're getting into a discussion and all we want is personal impact, then by all means, let's be authentic about that. You know, let's be straight up about it and say, look, I'm about to get in a debate with you, and it is simply going to be political, straight up. It's, it's going to be political, and it's going to be social, and it has nothing to do with Christ. I'm going to say exactly what I want to say, and I'm going to say it in the flesh. I mean, let's be authentic about it. At least the world won't call us hypocrites, right? But if we're going to talk about this from a Christ-centered perspective, we have to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom impact? And am I doing this for the sake of a personal impact? Along those lines, are we willing to be misunderstood to the world if that means that we get to clarify for the sake of the kingdom of God? So some of the questions that I have personally heard and that I want to talk about a little bit is, you know, that uh, the, 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 why are people blaming me? I didn't do anything. I'm not participating in this. Why are people blaming me? Well, understand, this is not about you being blamed. This is about people expressing injustice about what's happening. When we say, why are you blaming me? 
we are literally making it right back about ourselves and not trying to understand where people are coming from. Again, what's the kingdom impact here? Why are people still angry? This is not, you know, it's not about what happened. It's about what is happening. Let me give you a very real personal example. My late brother was walking down a neighborhood, one close to my mom's neighborhood. He had a hoodie on. He used to be a wrestler. He was um, just, you know, just coming from a wrestling um, practice, and he was just walking and had a hoodie on, a very stern face. And I saw him. I was driving over to my mom's, and I said, hey, hop in the car and give you a ride back. And so he enters the car. He was in his teens at the time. And I said, you know, why do you look so, why do you look so hardcore, man? <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't want anybody messing around with me. And in that moment, I had to have a very real conversation with him because the reality is it's not just about who's not going to mess around with him, who knows him. It's about other people who are going to see him. And I said, listen, when you have your hoodie on and you, your, your face you can come across as aggressive, not even having done a single thing. This is a real conversation that, that unfortunately, men of color have to have at very young ages so that they're protected, so they know what to do. Most recently, there are conversations and videos that have come out about what to do with the police. Those are not conversations being had in, in all circles around America. These are conversations very specific to people of color. And if you are of Hispanic descent, that's another conversation. We heard a little bit about that with Vicky's interview. That's a real testimony. It's a personal testimony that I'm giving. Again, not for the reason of blaming, not for the reason of, you know, just saying, oh, I didn't know you went through that. But, but for, for understanding that this is, this, this is a now thing. Right, this is a now thing. I can't tell you the amount of times I've entered a meeting where, you know, I was in some form and fashion leading it, and people wondered where the person who was leading it when they were going to come. I mean, that these these are real things, right? Completely dismissed as no, she she couldn't be the person leading it. She couldn't possibly be. And the more junior person who comes in, who is who happens to be Caucasian, is the one who's thought to be the one leading it. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've literally had to watch my personal reaction when it comes to being assertive because it automatically gets interpreted as angry black woman. It is very conceivable that some of you listening to this today may be thinking, oh my gosh, Emma seems to, she's angry. It's passionate. But yet there's an additional standard that is placed. And one I need to be aware of in my interactions, depending on the outcome that I'm seeking. This is a real thing. And if you're thinking, oh, this is a U.S. thing, oh, no, no, no. I used to travel a lot for work. So during one of the times I was there, I took a personal trip to Italy with my best friend. And he and I went around the city, um, around Milan, it was a beautiful, beautiful city. And we caught the last train so that we could, we didn't have to stay overnight. We could literally just hop on the last train, come back um, to where we were in Switzerland. We're on the train. They had overbooked. So there were two trains on one train. Oh my goodness. It was horrible, horrible. So I'm in the, literally the little hall of the train And as I'm standing there, the woman to my left starts digging her elbow into me. And long story short, I kept telling her to stop. She kept saying, I kept telling her to stop. She was saying, people around were assuming that we were the problem. So now people around are telling us to calm down. And she's the one digging her elbow in. And I'm getting frustrated. I mean, it was just such a mess. But what was very, very evident in that particular scenario was that Everyone around us had already made up their minds that me, my best friend and I, that we were the ones who were at fault. That's real life. That's now. These things happen. 
Going to an airport, having traveled a lot, my passport was filled. Getting my passport looked over time and time and time again because people were like, uh, is this really her? How does that make sense? That's real life. That's now. So all that to say, these are examples of, of, of situations that have happened to me personally. I'm not drawing here from others' experiences. But again, all this is with the intent of bringing to light the fact that there are real cultural, racial experiences that different groups have. And unless we are willing to interact with one another to learn a little bit more about what that means, we are missing the ball game, especially as a body of Christ. And the biggest thing I want to urge us to do is not to assume that one person's experience applies to a whole group of people. Recently, I had a couple of friends ask, you know, there, there's so many different terms for people, how they want to be referred to. What do I, how do I refer to, for example, black people? If I say black, they're offended. If I say African-American, they're offended. If I say, I said, well, that's your problem. That right there is your problem. Why don't you ask them directly? And by the way, People's opinions made the fur because I'm not the same person as my African-American sister in Christ. I'm not. I'm not the same person as my sister, bloodline sister, right? And so these things are things that we learn when we're a community with one another, but there's no such thing as authenticity because when we come and approach these topics in authenticity, we can really get talking about some serious issues and we can get some serious answers. I think about my dear friends who have, you know, identified as homosexuals. And when I ask them what, you know, what, so what is the appropriate way to refer, right, to someone who is attracted to the same sex? Do you know that even among the friends I have, their answers have deferred? They're different from one another. And one of them said to me, you know what? Just be you, Emma. Just be you. You're great just being you. And you know what? They know where I stand. They know my faith. They know that I'm a Christ follower and that I absolutely believe in the biblical definition of sin. My sin of gluttony, their sin of homosexuality. My sin of premarital sex, their sin of lust. I mean, whatever it is. Right, We all have fallen short of the glory of God, but they also know that I love them to pieces. And I would die for them no matter what happens, even if I disagree with them. Because at the end of the day, Christ taught me to love people with the love that he has graciously, graciously poured upon me. And that means at all costs. It does not mean be a doormat. It does not mean... You're never going to disagree with people. It does not mean that we don't stand in truth, in spirit and in truth. And it does not mean that when there is a spirit of, of, of dissension, where there's a spirit trying to divide, where there's a, uh, um, a spirit of, of lying and all that, that we don't face with, with courage and with boldness, um, you know, one another, because we have to sharpen one another. But it does mean, it does mean that at the end of the day, Anyone who comes and says, you know what, I want to be in relationship with you, that it's fair game, that I love them with the love of Christ and period, point blank, nothing else. And so as we think about race, culture, diversity, can we really start to act on these from a Christ-centered perspective? Can we approach these really tough conversations with one another from a Christ-centered perspective, being willing to both listen and to speak in spirit and in truth, and in doing such, be the counter to what is going on today as it relates to race, culture, and diversity? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this hour. Lord, I just pray that your divine will be done. Father, thank you that despite the fact that we are so broken and certainly imperfect, that you are glorious and perfect. God, what are our next steps? 
speak, Lord. We're listening. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you're tuning in for the first time, and thank you. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you're tuning in, thank you very much for listening to a show that is about Christ. Know this. You're not listening to this show on coincidence. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. If you want to know more about Jesus, contact us. Contact at kingdomworkforchrist.com. You can also email us if you're looking for resources to stay spiritually and Christ-centered while you're looking for a home church. Really, really important to be in community in a good home church, Bible-centered church, but very important not to be in a dry season while you're looking for that. So please contact us. Whatever we can do to help, we're happy to do that. In the meantime, have a wonderful and blessed week. Bye-bye. Assurance.